As we continue the Sermon on the Mount series, today we are on the last chapter of those three chapters in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Sermon on the Mount begins with Matthew chapter 5 and 6, and today is our study number 26, 26th message, and we are finally on chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. And I must kind of give you a heads up about this passage. And this verse 1 is one of the most frequently quoted verses, well-known verses in the Sermon on the Mount, not to mention the entire New Testament and, and Bible as well. But arguably one of the most misunderstood or not understood fully. So whatever you have, even in the past uh, teachings and sermons you went through, uh, keep your heart open and ask questions about, Lord, teach me so that I may not only heed, but obey as well. And certainly it really rocked my world. And the simple message and penetrating in the depth of my soul, revealing some things that I don't want to really face. But chapter 7, it also looks like a collection of wisdom sayings, like unrelated teachings of Jesus. But if you look at it, it's actually about relationships. The theme of Sermon on the Mount is the righteousness, in contextually, righteousness that surpasses that of Pharisees. So you, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteous, righteousness of Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said. But if you remember who, were, who Pharisees were and how meticulously they followed the rules and the law of God, that, that was an astonishing statement that Jesus made. But Jesus is saying, because of the, these religious leaders, starting with the Pharisaic, Pharisaic movement, lowered the standard to the human standard so that they could keep it externally, to fix their lives on the outside, so that they could feel superior, more self-righteous in the eyes of their own standard. In other words, the movement was in the beginning, it was well-intended, and later on it became corrupted. Hypocritical. Jesus did not use harsh words to any sinners, but about their sins. Seriousness, seriousness, the gravity of their sins, except these people. Why? Because the moment that you try to your own self-righteousness to achieve your status or salvation, and Jesus is basically saying, the very closest thing the truth is there, but very 
it resembled to so much close to truth in the right way. And you've perverted. And that's actually the, the picture and portrait of Lucifer. The source of evil. So, but in, in the theme verse, it, this is what Jesus said, do not be like them. Do not be like those Pharisees, religious people, who are in your community, but and yet far from God's heart. Do not be like the secular unbelievers who disregard and no, have no fear of the Lord. But chapter 7, as he concludes, he focuses on, there's a common thread. He focuses on relationships. The greatest commandment is twofold, loving God with all our hearts and loving our neighbors as ourselves, Jesus said. Those are relationships. And it's revealed in this. So let's look at a few things. Uh, today we're going to cover two of them. The first part is our relationship with our brothers and sisters. Um, begin with believing Christian community. But in this context, it's not so clear that it is restricted to the believer, believers only. Maybe fellow human brothers, fellow human sister, in that sense also. Also, too, but primarily it begins with how to live as a Christ follower in believing community within our church. And number two, he turns to in in our relationships. Very in our culture, it's harsh words. In our relationship with dogs and pigs. Those are the title and the, the terms that Jesus used to refer to a group of people. Uh, hardened, hostile scoffers. People who are not only uh, closed in their mind, but hostile. And scoffs at God's wisdom. How do we deal with that? In the coming weeks, we're going to... Uh, deal with the relationship with our Father, especially about prayer and relationship with everyone in general and commonly known as the golden rule and relationship in following Christ, entering into the narrow gate and narrow way and relationship with false prophets. In our days, we should think about as a false teacher's as well. There, there are false teachers in our generation. And lastly, he concludes with relationship with his, his teaching. The two responses that Jesus is mentioning is giving heed, listening, and hearing carefully, but obeying and doing as well. By just listening will mislead and deceive ourselves. So this is the overview of chapter 7. Today, as I mentioned, we begin with the famous word, judge not, 
And other translations will say, do not judge. The ESV is closest to literal uh, meaning and translation. Judge not. The reason why the the translation goes like this is the empathic, empathic, uh, Jesus is with so much weightiness, he's emphasizing Not just, I I don't think it's a good idea to judge others. Stop judging. Judge not. That's the concept. But as I mentioned before, this is one of the most misunderstood. And especially in our culture. Why? In our culture, tolerance is the operative word for anywhere. Religious, non-religious world. And then uh, when you mention anything about, oh, I don't think he's the right person for that. I said, oh, Jesus said, judge not, so unless you'll be judged. So we need to think about, first, what does it does not mean? Before we think about what does really mean. It does not mean don't exercise critical discernment. So moral and character judgment. This is rampant. As if we are not to think critically at all or discern at all, filter at all. No, Jesus doesn't mean that. The word is translated in the 15 to 20 words in the Bible. Because of this meaning, one word can mean several different ways. For example, the commonly in our culture, in this past five, six, seven years, this phenomenon, the spirit, as if uh, they are taking the side of Jesus and moving through the culture. Moral judgment is bad. You have to accept. So even in terms of, oh, what, what if he lives that way? What she lives that way? Let them be. Because we're not supposed to judge. But let me tell you this. Very inevitable thing is we're judging it, judging it all. In one sense that, uh, for example, God gave us critical mind. That's humans, one of the human difference from all other creatures. And more so, we have an innate uh, mechanism, consciousness, to determine what's right and wrong, which is really not found in any other creatures either. To those people who are relativistic in morals at all, and they're emphasizing that we should not judge at all, so consider this point. You're looking for a babysitter because you're returning to back home. Would you hire child molester who has uh, several offenses in their background? Of course not. That's ridiculous. Another example. Would you date a person who lies a lot, known for player, as a, as a player, 
He has a several girlfriends behind the scene. And then your friend will say, I love you. I don't think he's good for you. I don't think she's good for you. There's nothing wrong with that. But even if it's even if it's a wrong judgment, a wrong standard, people end up getting married with the wrong person or dated very unhealthy relationships. In inevitable human exercise of judgment is happening in terms of discernment, in terms of evaluating, assessing, and critiques. And Bible also talks about test the spirits. Yeah, we are to test the spirit. Don't believe everything. Test the spirit. From this context, how are you so sure, Paul? Context context is the key for not only understanding, but applying the scripture. Here are a few. I already talked about uh, not exercising critical discernment is unnatural and unrealistic. Inevitably, we all use critical discernment to deal with the realities of life. In the same context, in verse 6, Jesus mentions, do this with dogs and pigs. In order for us to obey that, we need to first know and recognize who those pigs and dogs are in our in our world which which means that what is the type of characteristics of that group that we are to deal with differently um, and then rather than dealing with the same way but treat them shrewdly Jesus says and later in same chapter Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus warns us to beware of false prophets. You could recognize false prophets prophets this way. In other words, exercise your critical discernment, judgment in terms of discernment. And if you look at 1 John, Apostle John is very concerned about the churches being invaded by these false teachers, bringing false gospel. So we are to discern. Then, what does that really mean? Rather, it means don't criticize others with a hypocritical, hypercritical both ways, I'm intentionally using that, judgmental attitude. A few um, commentaries that I, I looked up, they use the word, they use the word censoriousness. Censorious, which is uh, in common daily language, I, I, I never heard that, and so I thought it was, a, is that coming from censoring others? Not necessarily. Censure is Judging, a judgment involving con- condemnation. So basically it means judging others with highly 
hypocritical attitude and judgment, judgmental attitude, which also involves some type of a superiority. I'm better than the person that I'm judging right now. I think what's most important and helpful is a, one of the commentators, Don Carson, New Testament uh, theologian, says it has a lot to do with this attitude rather than content of the message. So in other words, the same thing that you could say, that you could violate Jesus' command of a judge not because of your attitude, how you say it, in what motivation you have to say it. By the way, that's another big concern of mine. In order for us to be a true Christ followers who not only heed the teaching of Jesus, but obeying and doing actually what the, what the scripture says, this passage commands us not to judge harshly with hypocritical, hypocritical attitude. But the prohibition is not helping others to move speck in his or her eyes. As a true community of Christ, we are to do that. The problem is, if we do it wrongly, it becomes an enormous sin that Jesus would feel very disturbed in such a way that when he dealt with Pharisees. Condemning others with undue harshness and superiority and playing God, pronouncing final judgment on the other person. So in some sense, I think the so because of semantics with the same word, at the end of today's message, if you don't remember anything, you really need to remember what it does not mean and what it's clearly meaning. And then when you deal with the relationships, it will be clear as you apply. Because you sense your spirit in it. The person who is doing without judgmental attitude, love is a motivation. The person who is doing with judgmental attitude, self-righteousness is a motivation. John Stott gives us clear perspective as we begin, and as usual, his insights are very balanced and very helpful. He writes, the context provides a healthy balance if we are not to judge others, finding fault with them in a censorious, condemning, or hypocritical way. We are not to ignore their faults either and pretend that our, everybody is the same. Both extremes are to be avoided. The saints are not to judge are not judges, but saints are not simpletons either. If we first remove the log from our, our eye and thus see clearly to take us back 
from our brother's eye, he, if he is true brother in the Lord, will appreciate our concern. But not everyone is grateful for criticism and correction. So, before we get to application, I think we need to take a look at this passage one more time and ask questions, why should we not judge according to what Jesus is saying? Here's number one. It is solely, judging others is solely God's role. In, in this, not, on, not, not in terms of judging involving discernment, judging involving condemnation or final criticism on that person belongs to God. God only can see and judge everyone's inner motives as well as outer deeds. It's the same passage. We're going to read it over and over. For the first time, let me read the whole thing. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. First two verses reveals this. No one except God can see the heart and full view of each person's context, each person's deeds context. Hence, God only can judge everyone unfollowably. It is based on Christian doctrine that God is holy. And not only he's sinless, but he's not like us. He's not biased. He's not in somehow skewed in his own view. Moreover, Christian doctrine on very simple, basic level, all human hearts are fallen because of our sinful nature inherited from Adam and Eve, the original sin. We are all infallible, uninfallible in our judgment. We all have faults, I mean, skewed view. But once we begin to use our own human standard to judge others, and then become harsh in the sense that undue criticism is in light of our subtle desire for superiority, and we could rationalize in many ways. That it kind of annoys us, it irritates us, whatever that might be. So let's say, even if you saw the deed, do, you, do we sometimes know all the time? Do we know the full context of the person's deed? No. We jump to the conclusion. That's what we, not, what we are not to do. 
You know, um, every time when I share, in order for us to be practical, and I really want our church to go where rubber meets the road in terms of application. It requires my sharing. And here's some of my mistakes. And I, I feel very even vulnerable about sharing because it, things like this happen not in the when I am not doing ministry or anything, but it, all the time it happens in, in the midst of my well-intended ministry. During my student ministry days, my previous church back in the days, went to Yosemite. And then I took the students, the students who do not have families to go with. So how noble am I? So as a youth pastor, I volunteered to take them in big van. And we went up. And then on the way to Yosemite, we had to stop for gas and rest and drink. And then some little bit of lunch Lunch we packed as well. And there's a, this gentleman was asking who we were and having nice conversation. And he found out, uh, you know, we're a church group and I, I'm a pastor. And he was sharing just enthusiastically that his recent experience with God, that he wants to go back to God. He wants to eventually go to church too. So all that was good, but it's except that suspicion that I felt was his breath was in the daytime. It was like during noontime, I could smell alcohol. So we even, I even, good guy, right? Opened the ice chest and offered him some kimbap, a Korean sushi roll, basically, right? And then in the midst of it all, he's, he was thankful. And, then, and I'll say, I will pay for you. And it's time to go. I can't find my keys. Nowhere. And these well-meaning youth leaders, volunteer leaders, and including some of our older students, kind of hinting that maybe that the, maybe he could take it. You know, he's alcoholic. So if, uh, if I'm a holy man of God, I will scold them very harshly right there. Instead of doing that, I gave in. I became more doubtful and doubtful. And then I was worried about being late. And we were there about 20, 30 minutes after we decided to leave. I was almost this close to confront him. Except the last thing that I wanted to do is open the chest, eye chest. And voila, it was sitting there. I, was, I felt so shameful. How do I recover from that? So on the way, we were kind of going about 15, 20 minutes, and the students are back in their own fun mode and singing songs and doing games. And, and I pulled over and I said, let's pray. And it's not for them, it's for me. I felt remorse. And I repented that I doubted him. I repented that I falsely judged him. And to be certain kind. So that's the type of uh, judgment that Jesus is forbidding us to do. 
And then verse 2 says, some people think of it as a relational matter. So in other words, if you judge them, they will judge you with the same standard. No, this is a finality of God's judgment. On that day, we will have no excuse because God will use the same measures to judge us. And no one can stand righteous before God that way. Have you ever done it? And some of you are proud, are very punctual people. And some of, some of, some of my uh, intention of let's start the meeting right, and especially the Bible study or prayer meeting, and I emphasize, today I overemphasize about being on time. Something happens to me, I'm late. <laughs> Such is the human phenomena day to day. Number two reason is in verse 3 and 4. It is hypocritical to see the faults in others so easily while minimizing our own is doubly wrong. First, fault-finding in others without self-examination is hypocritical. You see the speck so easily. It's so specs so tiny. Oh, what a power observation. <laughs> but you have log in your eye. And you don't even realize it. Secondly, judging others with a seeming act of kindness. Let me help you, brother. Let me help you, sister. Take the speck out of your eye. It hurt, doesn't it? It's not good for you. Because of that noble, seemingly noble act of kindness, we're doubly hypocritical. Take a look at this picture. The person is saying, dude, I think I got something in my eye. Hey, don't worry. I'll help you get it out. But he doesn't see it, what he has in his eye. You know, Jesus was funny. This is the example. Of, this is a cracking joke that will make us get up in the middle of the night if we are one of these disciples. You don't even see your log in your eyes and trying to. Jesus' point is very straightforward. His humor is stressed the importance, how ridiculous it is for us to judge others in that sense. Number, sorry. Number three reason it is self righteous, as I mentioned. <clears throat> well, verse 3 and 4 is related. How, why, why do you see the speck that is in your, own, in your brother's eye, but not, do not notice the log in your own eye? And verse 4 says, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your, out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? So judging others harshly, we assume holier-than-thou attitude, inevitably. The double hypocrisy that I just mentioned is the ultimate goal of the hypocrisy, although sometimes very hidden, even 
the one who is actually doing that might not even aware because it's easier with that unawareness to judge others. But ultimately, it is to attain superiority of others by highlighting the faults of others. So judgmental attitude, what Jesus proves, and we are to do as brothers and sisters, here's some differences. When you tell the faults, when we have a judgmental, hypocritical attitude, this is fun. I finally get to tell him or tell her. Whatever the desire might be, I mean, noble intentions that you're using. And Christians are worse off in that, right? Sometimes self-deluding reasons. The baby, because I care so much for him. But there's a pleasure. That's how you recognize. But if you are doing what Jesus is urging us to do in the right way, there is an ache. We all felt it. Your own children. And when you're correcting them and telling them. Your brother or your sister in your family. Your mom and dad. When you're finally lovingly confront. This is difficult. It aches your heart. You wish you don't have to do it. But because your love for that person. You cannot not do it. And oftentimes, I joke about this in a way, half-joking way. Who's really my friend? Who really cares for me? Right before preaching, the one who comes to me is, you have a nose hair sticking out of your nose. Your zipper's down. Because they care about me. And otherwise, the people will say, oh, it's not my business. The detachment is there, right? <clears throat> Think about this. It's, even if it's a subtle exalting oneself by nitpicking on others is a cheap way of being self-righteous. One more reason. It is vision impaired. The log in the eye blocks the view. Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your own, your brother's eye. Hypocritical judgment, judgmentalism causes us to skip self-examination. Bible commands us. Soren Kierkegaard actually wrote in the book, book entitled of self-examination. And no wonder he's insightful. But sometimes in our Christian community, in all in the name of grace, oh, don't take it that seriously. You're too harsh on yourself. No, never, ever 
That is true. Even in my ministry, I realize one of the most beneficial uh, feedback that I got from my mentors, who are deep, who are deep, that I wanted to emulate their their discipleship, the way they follow Christ. Is it wrestling with their motives? And I thought, well, if you're doing for work of God, isn't that all good? You serve at church, isn't that a good thing? We we need to be we need to be joyful. And some of you know when I made a free fall decision and resigned from my previous ministry, previous big church. I don't regret it at all. I'll do it all over again. But as I am ending that time, the final crossroad is I, when I began to do to soul work on my heart. By that I mean lifting every rock, not just assuming nothing's there, and asking questions, what's underneath? Why am I doing this? Why am I staying up all night writing this training manual? Why am I have so much energy to meet with so many different people throughout the day that my wife and children felt neglected? If you don't lift the rock, you could say, because Paul loves the Lord, look at him, passionate guy. And I told myself, I heard so many things, I got thank you cards in those languages. But when I start lifting off the rocks, and I share back then my men's group, I felt disgusted with my motive. Mixed motive. A lot of it was a good thing for God. But subtle things were for my kingdom. I wanted to be known and recognized as effective leader. I felt strokes of national leaders recognizing my effort, my book. So in the same sense, the absence of self-examination leads us not only blindness to our own faults, but a blocked, skewed view to others. It, their, their fault is exaggerated. We don't know that's happening. Our skewed eyes, our skewed vision, vision-impaired vision, cause us to do that. Ray Pritchard um, has this list that was online. It was really helpful for me. And I sorted it out. It's not entire list, but it's some of the list. Still, uh, we could use it as a checklist for whether we have a judgmental editor. See if you could go to that. Number one, maximizing the sins of others, their faults and the, the petty ways. Coming to quick, hasty, negative conclusions. Passing along critical stories to others i.e. gossiping, having a strong bias to find others guilty, being too harsh when, even when speaking the truth, 
adding every aggravating remarks when telling a story, dismissing an unkind remark by saying, "I was just kidding," or "just joking." Saying something critical and then trying to cover it up. Oh, you know what I mean. Take it the best way. So what's the best way of this? <laughs> By the way, can I insert one remark? For When you write any criticism for our elders and pastors, including me, Don't say that. I only do this because I love you so much and love the church. So I just just come out and I didn't like what you did. It's straightforward. And those remarks even stays even longer, right? So, and then, you know, I would kind of advocating to all of our children. I hope that this is a common culture that we have cultivated. We do not confront anyone negatively on the email. It has just explosive effect, and, and also it lasts so, so much longer, even after the reconciliation, because of our memory on that reading that, or because we have a hard time throwing it away. You meet with a person, at least pick up the phone. And so many times I try to practice that, with our leaders, when I get an email, say, I pick up the phone. Can we get together? Love to talk to you about this. I will be open. Do not be, there is a person in authority need to make that approachable. I am responsible for that. I cannot say, if you really are Christ follower, you should not be afraid to confront any, anyone who's in authority. No, there is a power abuse of Subtle abuse, as if you are confronting your boss, your job is on the line, it will be very difficult. But if your boss is very inviting and very make it safe for you to do that, that's biblical. We should do that amongst us. Going on, let me just finish this. Being unkind and then quickly changing the subject, telling too many people about what others have done to us, telling the truth in order to hurt, not to help. Putting others down in order to make yourself look better. One of the values we have at Crossway is a real transformation and authentic community. And I will volunteer for the person. I am guilty of many of these. In order for us to experience a real transformation, the heart transformation inside out, not the pseudo transformation from outside in, changing the mere outer behaviors only, we will be self-deluding people who doesn't deal with our judgmental spirit. We fall. We confess. We repent. And we receive God's forgiveness. We go with power of the Holy Spirit. And if we fall again, we do the 
whole process all over again. And I could tell you this, with my, all my integrity, I'll practice with you, practice with you, with every single one of you in our community life. I'll ask for forgiveness. If I made a judgmental attitude remarks, I'll repent and I'll seek your restoration with me. That's what Jesus' community should be all about, isn't it? Okay. <clears throat> My time is running out. I want to focus on some practical application on this. At least three in general. Number one, we are to get rid of hypocritical or hypercritical both ways, judgmental attitude by taking the log out of our own eyes first. If we focus on taking the log out of our eyes, it will help us to deal with, purge any judgmental attitude because we see on our sin. But this is very insightful and very helpful for me as I meditate on this. So what's the log? Why is it so bigger? It does not mean that our sin is greater, our fault is much bigger than the other person's sin. You know why? Or it, or it, it doesn't mean that it is false, it's fabricated. It, must be, it could be completely true, or at least partially, mostly true. But our sin is not bigger in this sense. Let's say we see a brother who's struggling with lust with pornography online. And let's say we had an affair, full-blown affair. The person who has a full-blown affair will have much more compassion and the judgmental attitude for those person who's dealing with it, internet pornography will not be really there. It's not the law. The only time we are fine with what we are, even though sin resides in us, we live with that sin, is self-righteous pride. Jesus is calling that Pharisaic problem that we have. So when you have pride and self-righteousness, you will not be able to see your own sin. It's so big. It's hindering your view. What's the cure? We go to the Calvary. We go to the cross. We knelt down and we submit and surrender and be broken, not improve. Lord, have mercy on me. Roy Hessian. And one of the books that I recommend is The Calvary Road. Uh, one of the chapters have the beam and the moat. This is old King James language, right? So I substitute beam with log and moat with spec in the ESV language. Listen to this, what he writes. But 
What did the Lord Jesus mean by the beam? I forgot to change, substitute that in the eye, in our eye. I just suggest that the log in our eye is simply our unloving reaction to the other the other man's speck. And the Lord Jesus means by this comparison to tell us that our unloving reaction to the other's wrong is what a greater rafter is to a little little splinter. Every time when we every time we point one of our fingers to at other another say and say, it's your fault. Three of our fingers are pointing back to us. Pointing back at us. God have mercy on us. For the many times when it has been so with us, and when in our hypocrisy we had tried to deal with the person's fault, and when God saw there was a, this thing far worse in our own hearts. But let us not think that that a log is a necessity, some violent reaction on our part. In other words, it does not really necessary to have the violent reaction to call it a log. And he goes on. The first beginning of a resentment is a log, as is also the first flicker of an unkind thought or the first suggestion of unloving criticism. Where that is so, it only distorts our vision, and we shall never see our brother as he really is, beloved of God. If we speak to our brother with that in our hearts, it will only provoke him to adopt the same hard attitude toward us. Isn't it good? The cure is not trying to be pragmatic and solve the problem somehow. It's a breaking our stiff-necked eye and pride and surrender to Christ. Contrite, broken heart. Lord, have mercy. Number two. We are to exercise humble discernment and speaking truth in love so that we may help a brother or sister remove a speck in his and her eye or, or her eye. So notice that verse five by before I mean after Jesus said, You hypocrite and he, he says, First take the log out of your own eye, then what? Walk away, stop. Then you, sh- you, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus wants us to do that. How do I know? If you look at several other passages, Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus' words, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and me alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, mature, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you to be tempted. 
Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Colossians 3.16, even the church culture, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Admonishing one another is correcting one another, pointing the things that you see as a speck in their eyes. I am so grateful for our elders. We didn't, we didn't even use the word elders uh, because it's a emotional baggage is there with that. So in, in the beginning, we just used the word leadership team members. But our leadership team members was clearly elders board, spiritual leaders who are humble, who are marked by modeling of, of their spirituality to follow others. Not necessarily business leader. And some of the, these younger, I mean, the, the uh, earlier days, uh, elders, when I invite them to the leadership team, their concern was, I'm not a business leader. I'm not a big vision person. Maybe you need that. No, actually, we want to change the culture. It's not the business conception or vision that I'm looking for. I'm looking for broken, humble men who is thirsty after God. Because I want church, our church to be marked by that. So without any revealing names, in the early days when Bo was still around, uh, we saw a gray area in our, in our brother, one of the elders. So Bo and I decided to pay a visit. And it was hard because we loved that brother. And then as we share, this is concern. I know this is a gray area. I know that you have a freedom. But what do you think? God had worked in his heart. And that brother received that admonition so quickly and so openly. I still remember that. I respect him even all the more because of that. And his wife was so happy. <laughs> Number two, we are to exercise humble, I'm sorry, we, we did that, humble discernment and speaking truth in love so that we may help a brother or sister remove a speck. How do we do it? We need to do it with great patience. Second Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 2 says it. We need to do it with a spirit of gentleness. Spirit of gentleness. When you are too aggressive, and this is one, one of the things I need to be watchful. Because I see urgency. If I don't have a spirit of gentleness, I need to take someone with me. Or I need to send someone to that brother. Or two sister. And do it with wisdom drawn from prayer for him or her. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. More 
modern translation, NIV, says gentle words brings healing. Rash words is like a thrust of sword. Third and last, we are to exercise critical discernment so that we may not waste what is holy to hardened scoffers. The verse 6 is something that we need to explain a little more. I'm almost done. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest lest they trample them underfoot and turn to, to attack you. So first of all, when we say, you know, I'm a dog lover too. I, I love dogs. Um, and lo- I love to eat pig, but um, <laughs> this is. But unlike our culture, it's a very different culture. It's a vicious, very half wild animals, dogs and pigs. The dogs were not pets, household pets, but half wild street scavenger hunts, a scavenger. Scavengers going around everywhere. The pigs were despised by the Jews, and both of them were ceremonially unclean. And the terms that they use, especially for Gentiles, who has hostility toward God and God's people and God's word, they refer to them as dogs and pigs. But in the bigger definition of it, in Proverbs talk about the people who are like bears. If you give them any kind of rebuke, they'll fight you back and your, your life is at stake. And do not give what is holy, what is really wise, like a ring on a pig's snot. Don't give it to them. John Calvin, a reformer, writes this, dogs and swines are names given to those who by clear evidences have manifested the hardened contempt of God and so that their disease appears to be incurable. Let me make a footnote here. Not necessarily all the time. God might work in their hearts and they might turn around. But at that moment, don't try to be heroes. Don't try to be a a martyr in that. The Jesus' admonition is taken, are to be taken seriously, not only the verse 1 through 5, verse 6 as well. So in that sense, we are, we, we, we are not to give scoffers God's wisdom, with the gospel. And if there's a lot of pushbacks and ridicules and hardened hearts, we could stop. We are to stop. Shake up the dusk of your feet when you recognize them. Luke 9, verse 5. Showing that you are not responsible um, for their own sins. And move on to the receptive people. Proverbs 9, verse 7 through 8 is a good reminder once again. Whoever corrects a scoffer, a mocker. Gets himself abused. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man 
and he will love you. How has God spoken to you? And this morning, and if you are saying, oh, none of this is really relevant because I'm not judgmental, I am worried about you. Because I would be worried about my own self. The Calvary points us to our own inedible, wicked hearts. The cure is not improving. I'll do better next day. The cure is asking for God's forgiveness to restore by the blood of Jesus so that we could walk in humble confidence. And I long to see that culture blossoming in our church. You know why? When church division happens, when church split happens, most of the time it's because of this mutual judgmental attitude. When you have conflict, examine your heart and lovingly confront that person. If you have a hard time, ask one of the leaders, and I've done that, and sitting in one of those mediation meetings as a mediator, and one of the sisters and brothers sat in my mediation with someone else. It's a culture of humility because we're all nobodies serving somebody and you are not okay and I'm not okay it's, it's really okay because Christ is okay Christ made it okay by the grace of God let's pray Father this morning we pray for your Holy Spirit to convict and encourage and point the direction for each one of us and for our church. And we pray that our, our church will con- cultivate the cultural broken, humble attitude, purging out hypocritical, judgmental attitude in our relationships. And even beyond our church, teach us to continually live with the heart of Christ and mind of Christ. And thank you. Thank you for your guidance. Yes, Lord, we are not orphans. We are guided by your spirit. And you are, you are our Abba. And we belong to you. We give you glory. We pray all these things. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.